0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Way Podcast, uh, where we go through and read scripture with you. Now we know that uh, you might be in your car, you might be at work, so you may not have a chance to actually open the Bible right now. So today we're actually going to be reading through Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to encourage you not just to listen to it, my opinions on it, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to be involved with this as well. I'm going to ask that you would go and pick up your Bible at a later time when it's convenient for you and see what God is speaking to you through this word. I'm Pastor Ben LaGrange, and today I'm here with Dr. Timothy Slemons. Good to see you, Ben. Now, could you tell everybody that's listening to you for the first time, and you've been a big influence in my life over the last several years, could you tell everybody who you are and what you do? I'm Tim
1: Slemons. I'm Associate Professor of Homiletics and Worship here at the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary. I'm a Presbyterian minister, and I've been here in Dubuque for about Uh,
0: nine years. Good, mm -hmm. good. Now, because most people won't understand what homiletics are, what are homiletics? Oh, homiletics is the art of preaching. The uh, art of preaching. The art of preaching, yeah. Yes, you sharpen the swords of uh, young people that come through here and want to tell people about Jesus. We
1: do our best. Absolutely. That's right. (laughs) We we work with what you bring us and we send you forth to proclaim the gospel. Absolutely. For the
0: salvation of humankind. Absolutely, for the flow. That's right. For the life and benefit of the world. Amen. Uh, There you go. Well, we're going to go ahead and open up in Mark chapter 10. We're going to get to this first bit, and I'm going to tell you, I like preaching the ugly bits of Gospels. Well,
1: there are some tough passages in Mark 10, very challenging things, especially for folks in this day and age who have become accustomed to uh, certain realities in the culture.
0: Yeah. Well, just just everybody know, I'm not throwing this guy any softballs here. This is fast pitch already. I'm going to go ahead and and read uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, 1 through 12. We're going to start there. Jesus then left that place and went to the region of Judea across from the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him. as was his custom. And he taught them. And some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus replied, It was because of your hearts that were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. When they were In the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now that's a really, really tough subject for a lot of people these days. Because when I was a kid, I was rare because I was one of the kids who had divorced parents. Yeah. And now I don't know many kids who have married parents.
1: Yeah. There are, the statistics are, are staggering, and, and from what I understand, it's pretty much uniform um, across the culture, both outside and inside the church. Just as many uh, Christians have been touched by divorce, just as many Christian families have been touched by divorce as, mm. as non-Christians. It's uh, it, it hits
0: very close to home. It really does. And, you know, that was one of those... I've heard some statistics on that lately. You know, because that, that particular... Um, a uh, piece of information that came out mm-hmm. about it being uniform, cross culture, uh-huh. whether it's Christian or not. Mm-hmm. There was actually someone who did a more specific one. Instead really? of, are you Christian? Are you divorced? Mm-hmm. These sort of things, simple questions. Mm-hmm. They started asking about the practices of Christianity. Do you attend church on a regular basis? Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> do you read the Bible? <laughs> do you pray? Right. And and do you take communion? You go to confession, and they ask these things along the way, and you know what? Those numbers changed dramatically. Did they? Massively. Do tell. Yeah, it was something around, um, instead of being like that 40% failure rate that we see typically, Mm -hmm. it dropped down to like a 5% failure rate when they did that same kind of survey with more specific detailed questions. Not do you consider yourself Christian? Mm-hmm. but do you practice christianity okay so only and you're saying only five percent or so were actually doing that it was a very very small minute percentage wow. comparatively wow so but even at, even at that we're still seeing a lot of Christians not even get married mm-hmm. a lot of people have children without mm-hmm. but then we run into this particular spot so wh- what do you what do you see in this what jumps out at you
1: well, uh, this is one of those. Uh, this is one of those sayings that I think um, is also what re- pretty well represented in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. If, if we think about Matthew's version, I know we're yeah. in Mark and sticking with that. Um, but one of the things that I I would want to say to um, to a listener, especially that one of those fifty percent who've been touched very point and feels tremendous guilt about uh, about that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that Jesus, while he is definitely raising the bar in terms of uh, what integrity of conduct, um, uh, the the inner life, you know, what's going on in the human heart, you know, he's he's saying Moses wrote this law because of the hardness of of the human heart. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where he's aiming. He's aiming to get at the heart. But on the other hand, what I want to say. Uh, to those who are you know, terrified by, <laughs> by this kind of text, <laughs> right, right. is that you, know, you, can't underst- you cannot understand or you're, you are not understanding the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus' ethics appropriately if you think that he's coming to introduce a new legalism. Right. That is clearly not what he's trying to do. Um, what, what he is trying to do, I think, is to get us to look inward, to examine our hearts, to realize that our hearts are not right (laughs) with God. Um, and that, that sense in which we're not right with God is, um, is reflected in our relationships with other people. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it, it's reflected in marriages all the time, those, um, Things just break out uh, yeah. the 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 evil in the human heart tends to break out and and pollutes our relationships with even the people who are closest to us it's not to say um, all marriages are bad or you know uh, or or uh, just because every every human heart needs renovation um, but it is it is to say that uh, I, I think Jesus is just pointing us inward saying examine your hearts examine your hearts and is the fruit of a of a a pure heart being born in your relationships? That's a challenging question that right. very few of us can answer with,
0: a, with an aff- affirming nod. <laughs> <laughs> and it is kind of crazy because there is that bar. But, you know, we, we look at this love relationship and we look at the rules accordingly. Yeah. Now, I've always kind of taken this in this particular way because I, I see myself not as a rules lawyer. Mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely not that guy. Anybody who mm-hmm. knows me would laugh at that concept of me. But when it breaks down to it, there is a real love law that holds within this. Sure. So, uh, myself, I've always had a beard, as long as you've known me, I Mm -hmm. bet. Um, I have shaved, I've seen my face once in the last (laughs) six years, let's Mm -hmm. put it that way, and it was met with disapproval. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't wear a beard because it looks cool, I I don't wear it because it's manly, but because my wife likes it. Okay, and I I'm pretty sure that's because I can cover up as much as humanly possible. <laughs> she may not have married me for the face, but uh, there are some things that you'll do in a love relationship that would just simply please the other person. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you wear collared shirts. You dress nice. You, you take out the trash you, when it's trash night. You put on deodorant every day. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> so when it when it breaks down, you've got to look at this. What can we do? To hold each other in love, and yeah. there are times that, and and I, I look at this, and I'm always stuck on this. I get held in this weird tension. Mm-hmm. What happens in those moments? Because I see, I've seen people deal with divorce, mm-hmm. uh, because of abuse, of um, addictions, mm-hmm. uh, of other problems along the way. All sorts of things can All bring you. S- tear it apart right yeah and those those tears and those separations are just satan getting in the way he separates Mm -hmm. and that's how he kills Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a matter of Mm -hmm. killing your body dead but killing relationships and causing distance sure you know sure so i i've seen those situations where yeah there's abuse that cannot and will not stop for its own reasons Mm -hmm. and we are left with that divorce so what are we to do in those situations in the hard situations where, yeah. where things really do come apart. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, I think the answer is uh, the same, whether whether it leads to divorce or whether it doesn't, whether you're trying to keep things together. And the answer is grace and forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, if you want to keep a marriage together, you've got to forgive each other every day. You've got to forgive yourself all the time and be gracious toward one another. It's a... It's a the Puritans called marriage the little church, you mm-hmm. know, and they spoke of the family in the same way. It's it's a place wherein you practice grace toward one another, forgiveness toward one another, confession toward one another. And in the in the unhappy event, um, as in 50 percent of the cases, um, in the unhappy event that things come completely apart, you still need to forgive. Yeah. Now it may take a lot longer. It may take therapy. It may take a lot of prayer. It may take some major movements of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we need the spirit all the time anyway. Um, but yeah, for your own health, as well as for, um, you know, the, the well-being of the person from whom you're separated, it just, it just totally makes sense to, if you can't forgive in an instant in a, in a sort of pat glib sort of way, you don't want to do that. You don't want to cut corners. You really do want to forgive. And if you have to work toward it over years, fine. Then do it. But the direction is still the direction of forgiveness. The direction you need to go is still the direction of grace. There's no doubt about
0: yeah, that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, one of my good friends says, "Good friends and good fish go bad after three days," <laughs> and I've been living with my wife wife for fifteen years now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she's, she's 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 not a bad fish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think either she's got a nose plug or she's very forgiving. No, yeah, that's that's right.
1: You, you, it's it's mutual forbearance. We're we're called to practice
0: that. That's just the kingdom way, right? Absolutely, and I, and I think that that grace is actually shown really well in the next section, because with, with God, there's always this difference. Um, a lot of people want to see like some sort of hippie Jesus where everything is cool no matter what. Yeah. And other people look at him like this, you know, God on high who's ready to throw lightning bolts at any moment. But there's this balance of strength and love that holds true with Jesus every time. Yeah. And, and I see this here in this next section. Could you read uh, verses 13 through 16? I'd be happy to. This is where Jesus blesses the little children, and I'm reading from the New Revised
1: Standard Version. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw them, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands
0: on them, and blessed them. Isn't that great? That is. Yeah. You know, I was lucky enough. Um, there's things you can pull off in a small church that you can't do in a big setting. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm lucky enough right now that I'm in a in a small church setting. And there was this this little guy, maybe about 18 months old, and he's been in our congregation maybe two or three times. Mm-hmm. And he got squirmy, and his mom didn't know what to do. And I'm like, it's okay, just set him down. And yeah. he crawled off of the pew when she wasn't looking and started crawling under all the pews, making people giggle and laugh. It was a, a wonderful, <laughs> hilarious thing. And he crawled right up to the front. Wow. And I just kept preaching. It didn't bother me. And uh, I figure if I can out preach an 18-month-old, I'd, I'd, I'd have to quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, he got up near the electric sockets near, oh, the, dear. Uh, near the front. And I'm like, oh, no, we can't do that. So I just got to pick him up and hold him. And kept, I kept preaching for like five minutes. There you go. And I'm like, this is awesome. That's what Jesus would do. <laughs> and, and it was, a, precisely. Yeah, yeah, there's a simple enough thing. And I think there's also this, you know, I've always looked at like the parentheses of chapters, you know, when, when the monks all put these together and they're mm-hmm. like, hey, this section, this verse, this verse. Mm-hmm. Because it was all written in one, let me just tell you, all of my uh, English professors and teachers along the way, the fact that I don't use punctuation just means I'm biblical. Because <laughs> when you look at the old scrolls, there's no separation of words or anything. Right. And I look at this parentheses in scripture, and it's all about hierarchy. How do we deal with this? How do we live in kind of this, how do we deal in submission to each other, mm-hmm. to God? Sure. And there's that submission to each other in marriage, where we're constantly forgiving and loving. There's position of the little children who would have no business going up to uh, people right. and high stature and, and bothering them. Yeah, children must be seen and not heard, right? You don't want to right exactly. I don't.
1: I don't agree with that. I'm just saying I heard that <laughs> a lot when I was
0: wanting to be heard. <laughs> Actually, like a couple months back, uh, I saw a great video. I was I was in tears. I watched it like four times. But there's a video of Pope Francis preaching, and there's this little kid that climbs up onto the the dais, Mm -hmm. and then he just starts walking around, finds the Pope's seat, and just Mm -hmm. plops back in it, Mm -hmm. and everyone's freaking out and losing their mind, Mm -hmm. and when he's done with his sermon, he goes, sits down, picks the kid up, puts him in his lap, and just sits there. Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) I was sure. like, "That's awesome!" That's, I'm like, "Let them the way wear the hat." <laughs> that's, the, that's the way it should be. Yeah, the children are a model of the
1: kingdom, and and Jesus says they're the they're the greatest of the kingdom. It's to them that the kingdom belongs. Wow. So I, you know, I often look at folks who age, you know, are aging and lose one capacity after another. <clears throat> you know, parents, grandparents, many elders in the church. Those folks who. Uh, become as little children you know when they're waiting to to go home and it's <laughs> oh, yeah. it's there's something very parabolic and very sweet about it it's heartbreaking um, but we see it we, we see it with elders and mm-hmm. we see it with little children that uh, there's something of that dependency
0: there uh, really is yeah yeah i think at some point in our lives we get this weird peak where we think, oh, I'm 50, I should be dignified. Yeah. Shouldn't I be more dignified than You've this? You've never been through that phase, have you been? I, <laughs> no, I haven't. Let me tell you, it's I, overrated. <laughs> I've, I've been told I should be more dignified several times. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I always quote David, I, I will become even more undignified than this. And when they don't understand that, I'll explain that David was running around dancing in his underwear. <laughs> so it's not that bad when I make jokes. <laughs> so... You know, it, here in this moment, we realize that yeah, maybe at fifty, I should be just like a child. I am still mm-hmm. a child in mm-hmm. comparison to everything else. Yeah, you know, I'm so small in comparison. We see this um, overall through this chapter. This how do we deal with people that are feel like they're in high places but should be low, people in low places that need to be lifted up, mm-hmm. and this balance of each other and how do we we mix back and forth mm-hmm. that teeter totter of marriage. I'm high, you're low, and we're back and forth between. Sure, sure. It's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking to that, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verse 17 and 4 here for a moment. Sure. As Jesus started on this way, the man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is except for good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. I'd like to speak to his mother about this. But <laughs> oh, that's not but, in there. No, <laughs> no, that's that's not scripture. That's uh, that's a question from Ben. Um, but Jesus looked at him and, and loved him and said, "One thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me." At this man, at this, the man's face fell and he went away, because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, and Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you, and I tell you the truth, that no one who has left his home or bothers, or, or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes uh, oh, I jumped back. <laughs> in get. this present age. Homes Brothers, sisters, mothers, children in fields, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who were first will be last, and the last first. What kind of hits you there? Wow. You'll receive
1: a hundredfold now in this age, all of this, with persecutions. That's a little unsettling, Right? But then the promise of eternal life. I, I remember, um, and you probably this remember this too, uh, when I went to seminary, sort of pulling up pulling up roots, um, scaling down all my possessions, that sort of thing, and uh, moving from one city to another, mm-hmm. and starting up with a whole, whole new set of friends, a whole new set of um, hopes and, and a vision of what I'm about, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in engineering before and working for the telephone company, and now I'm all of, you know, I, I had an engineering degree, and now I'm studying divinity in, in Atlanta. What what am I doing? And who are all these people? What are all these questions about God and Jesus and the Bible and Greek and Hebrew? It was just a whole, uh, a complete change of uh, purpose in life. And um, so, yeah, it was a whole whole new set of relationships, a whole new set of friends. And as I became aware of that And aware of the church, and not just the Presbyterian Church of which I was a part, but folks from other traditions who are walking on this journey with um, me—Methodists and UCC and Lutheran and all the um, rest—I just realize how vast the church is, and Mm -hmm. that um, you know you spend any time thinking about the church, not just the church today that you go to uh, on a Sunday morning, but the the worldwide. denominations the worldwide church and not just the church in the world today but the church throughout the ages you start thinking about and realizing you have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers that you have not yet met oh yeah so you go to Nepal and you meet a you meet with Christians there who are of a different skin color and language and a different uh, you know food culture and you know they're just wired completely differently but they know Jesus yeah um, in the same way when I went to preach to, uh, to Africans in Malawi or yeah. did my first internship in Jamaica or was called to my first church in, in Pennsylvania, um, you know, we, we welcome seminary students here every year, um, all from different walks of life, different vocations, different experiences, different age groups. Um, and you realize you're, you're meeting family. You're meeting God's family. And it's just an amazing, amazing thing to to move out of the sort of nuclear family of you know mom, dad, sister, brother, right, and and discover you have this this huge network of of saints. Um, uh, that's what Paul calls them. Even though they're not yet arrived in heaven, he he writes to the saints in Corinth and elsewhere. He calls them saints. We have this network of saints in the family of God. That many of whom we barely have met or brushed elbows with and and the vast majority of whom we have not yet uh, met and yet when we have communion what do we call it the, the communion of the saints right and our prayers our liturgy calls that to mind that we are um, we are joining in the in the choir of, of angels and saints yeah. uh, around the throne of grace when we receive communion and we're praising God with with the whole, uh, the whole kingdom of heaven. It's just an amazing thing. So here, here he's promising. If anything, Jesus kind of understates it here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, you're thinking, wow, this, this is really an amazing promise.
0: Um, a hundredfold is really quite an understatement. It really is. And, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't promise you keys to a new car, does he? No.
1: No. no. I, I missed that. It might, be, it might be in a textual variant or something. but I, no.
0: I don't think so. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, that some people actually use for the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. And I believe in prosperity gospel, just not like that. Right. The, yeah. That pros, Prosperity is actually, um, our main treasure is in relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was a kid and we were poor, when they said, well, rich in love, I was just mm-hmm. like, okay, mom, I'm done with you right now. I actually want good food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad right now, mom. If you're listening, I still love you, but I was mad then. <laughs> we wanted more than ketchup and hot dogs. So, But when it comes down to it, that actually is the essence of it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's our gravity towards one another. How we can draw each other in and live in unity with God, each other, and then the world around us. And that's, that is the essence of it all. What does it matter as long as you have food for today? You have your daily bread. You have health. You have the people around you. And even when some of those things don't work, mm-hmm. the people around you will take care of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the most beautiful piece. Yeah, yeah. Prosperity is not just
1: a matter of um, money in the bank, or, or yeah. It's, I mean, it. Uh, Jesus says, I, "I came that they may have life abundantly." Yeah. But what's abundant life? And What does shalom mean? Shalom means peace, but it means prosperity too. But prosperity again, it's not. It's not. Um, a portfolio it's it's rather um a portrait i suppose of your family and and the great family of god of which you're a part it's the richness of life it's the it's the walk on a sunday afternoon when you don't have to go to work and you have time to smell the flowers and flop down in the grass and look at the clouds as they pass by and realize you know the lilies and the birds um you know, they, they are as they are more glorious than solomon <laughs> and, okay. and god so loves every everyone and everything um uh, that's that's prosperity is knowing you are in the hands of a loving god who has provided all you need um, for each moment of each day
0: yeah. and and for eternity i remember when i was uh, when i was 18 i was homeless for a while and someone was telling me about all how nice their place was i'm like Oh, it's this and that and the other. And I said my house is way bigger than this. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that blue sky up there? He's like where, where do you live? <laughs> Out by Two Eighty Lake, under a tree.
1: <laughs> God bless you.
0: Wow. But there's there is that moment when you you look at things from a different perspective and it's hugely different. Yeah, hugely different. Um, could you could you read this next section uh, verses thirty two uh, to thirty four? Sure, this is where Jesus
1: tells for a third time, he foretells his death and resurrection. So he's prophesying what is going to happen to him, and the disciples still aren't getting it. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See? We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he
0: will rise again. Now, I look at this, and to be honest, you know, I'm kind of uh, snarky. i got my little thing going on now and then, and I think, a third time Why are you going to tell them a third time when do they not get the first two <laughs> well there it does it does say they were
1: afraid um, the people were amazed that he was walking toward Jerusalem because they yeah. they do have there's a still a sense of they may it may not be sinking into their brains what's exactly going to happen but they at least haven't have a sense of foreboding about
0: it they yeah. know that Jesus going to Jerusalem means trouble <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of Saint Polycarp you remember yeah. Saint Polycarp, yeah? You know where not personally. I, n- well. I never met him. I'm I'm old, but <laughs> nah. I'm not that old. He didn't sign your yearbook. No. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to imply such a thing. <clears throat> <laughs> so uh, one of the things I, I thought about when I when I read this was uh, Polycarp was a man who was going to be burned at the stake um, mm. for his Christianity for his his belief and and uh, for sharing the gospel even when it was illegal and. His people just drag him off. They're like, you can't be around here. They're going to kill you. And <laughs> and God comes into a dream and he says, play the man, Polycarp. Play the man. Which is the ancient version of man up and deal with it. Go back. And he did. He did. And proclaimed the gospel at his own burning. Wow. And wow. And it is, it is such a portrayal of the life of Jesus mm. that I think it honestly just it reveals the gospel mm-hmm. better than any sermon i've ever heard yeah and yeah. it's the blood of the martyrs that actually is the seed of the church and that sure. that sort of thing without that we may not have known mm-hmm. but god uses different ways to reveal his love and his caring for us mm-hmm. and to carry that message is so important that even it even at burning yeah he knew he had to play the man well, even, even more recently, uh, much
1: closer to our time, Bonhoeffer, when he was in New York, mm-hmm. um, uh, realized he needed to go back. He had to go back to Germany. He had to serve uh, the church there, um, yeah. as a reformer, as one who would preach the pure gospel um, and and keep it uh, keep it distinct from what was going on um, exactly. among uh, among the sort of Co-opted church uh, mm-hmm. at the time, so he went
0: back and he paid with his life. Yeah, so. and and it's that submission that we look at, mm-hmm. and it's so impossible for them to see. Um, I've got a I've got a speculation on why here, but I want to get through these next two pieces here so we can sure. really dig in. Jesus teaches about serving others in verses thirty five through forty five. Mm-hmm. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said. We want, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can I get a favor, please, he says, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do you want for me to do, he asked. And they replied, let, us with, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left. Now, I suspect that if one person got us at the right, the, the guy on the left would be teased forever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but he says, you don't know what you're asking. And Jesus said, can you pick up the cup I drink or be baptized at the baptism I'm baptized with? We can," they answered, and Jesus said to them, "You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptized, baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who have they have been prepared." We've uh, then the ten heard about this and they became indignant with James and John, and Jesus called them together and said, "You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lorded over them." and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hmm. This is one of the, the most found foundational sections of Scripture that we have as mm-hmm. Christians. Sure. What's, what's the go-to on this? And is there maybe something new that hits you every time? Well, it, it's that
1: last line to me. It's—I um, mean, certainly all the way through the Gospels, Jesus is completely, um, consistently turning our expectations upside down. I mean, the kingdom is something that turns everything upside down, mm-hmm. right? Turns up upside down the social order and everything. But um, it's that last line where he's talking about himself where he says, uh, that, I mean, he's the perfect representation of this. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, according to Paul, um, equal with God, yeah. and yet he lowers himself, he comes all the way down um, to endure and be obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so he's saying, um, yeah, you look at the kingdom and it's constantly turning, turning things up down upside down, but let's look at the king. Right. He, uh, he epitomizes this. He is the Son of Man, Son of God, Son of Adam, Son of Mary, Son of David. He comes all the way down, um, and he spends his not only his life and ministry serving, but he gives up his life as a ransom for many. The the ransom being, um, you know, something handed over in order to set others free. Uh, it has the same meaning, you know, in uh, for us today that it would that you know it, it always has. I mean, you can you seen it in spy novels and all that sort of thing and in, in detective shows. It's it's a, it's something that's handed over in order to set others free. And that's what he's done. Yeah. He, he has set us free by his death on the cross. Um, now, of course, he's also been telling us that he'll rise again, which is good. Yeah. I want to bear that in mind too. But it's the centrality of what he has done. That's, that is the linchpin. We're not just talking about the... The kingdom is a, a dynamic, right? You know, it's not just an obscure, uh, uh, abstract flow of energy in the world. When you know <laughs> reversal of fortune. I mean that that those dynamics are there, but it's when you see it in the in the guy, the guy who embodies God himself, who is God himself in the flesh. Yeah. When he when God dies on a cross to set the creation free, um, you know that is the moment um, yeah. that is all decisive and all important. That that changes everything.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing when I look at this that the most high becomes the most low repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. you think willingly, It willingly, yeah, and when you think he can't get lower, he drops that bar and limbo's right under it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we count him the greatest of all. There's yeah. three billion people plus on this planet. Yeah, they call him Lord and Savior. Yeah, and and now why? here's a thing. Now here's a thing. Um, we even have that
1: bit in, in the Apostles' Creed, and I know you were you labor in Methodist fields, right? Um, this the, this bit in the Creed where it says, "Yeah," <laughs> where he descended into hell, and we and so talking about going lower lower than low, um, and I think that's based on the. Uh, the epistle of Peter, one of the epistles yeah. of Peter, where it talks about him preaching to the souls who are in prison. So there's a certain sense in which uh, tradition, uh, the traditional interpretation of that line in the creed, anyway, uh, suggests that he's not just sleeping in the grave while he's dead. Yeah, he's busy. But he's actually on an errand. Um, he goes to preach to the souls who are in prison, in, in hell itself. Yeah, the in, Holy or, uh, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, isn't that something? Now we're getting into uh, you know go, probably going way beyond anyone's <laughs> can here at this point but it it carries forward that theme you're talking about yeah. where in which he's willing to go lower than we would
0: ever expect the great high and mighty god to do absolutely yeah and it it's uh it just seems that there's there's more and more and more to this theme and it keeps going and going mm-hmm. and the lower he gets the higher his position mhm and we assume the opposite for ourselves for what reason? Yeah. <laughs> Ego. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be the pastor of a church. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, right. I don't, yeah, you know, here we go. So honestly, so I can wash feet, so I can show people and tell people in that way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if they treat you with too much respect, you're doing it wrong. Right, right. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. Right, and so,
1: uh, so, at some point, I think people just realize that what we have experienced, what we've seen in Jesus, in His willingness, is something that's so far beyond what a what a mere human, mm-hmm. what, yeah, maybe someone who's fully human, but how? Who has been fully human since the fall of Adam? Uh, only Christ. Um, but also fully God, you know. Yeah. We we have experienced God in the flesh, because who else could do this? Yeah. Who else could have pulled this
0: off? Exactly that. Exactly that. Now uh, I would ask you to put on your glasses and uh, help me read. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm reading better without my glasses, actually. I, even if I have to put my nose on the page. Um,
1: Verses forty six through fifty two. <laughs> okay, this is this is the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And I can identify, yeah. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well.
0: Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. You know, I, I look at this and I think of the other one where the guy you know he had to spit in his eyes a little right. bit. Right, and, and go send him to wash. Right, right. Go send him to wash a little bit. Right, get some of that dirt out of there. I can see people like trees walking around. And he's got to. He goes back for a second dip. Right, he goes that second try. And mm-hmm. Jesus, it was good. Can you give me better? Right, but this guy goes from zero to hundred real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. There's there's something to that. I, I think there's something mm-hmm. in that beggar position. You see that again? That, yeah. that beggar position. He's desperate. He's desperate. Right. And he is low and he is empty and unworthy. He and he's kill. in Jericho.
1: Jericho is one of the lowest altitude cities. Like, like, I think they consider it like the lowest altitude city on, on planet Earth. It's just right on the shores of the Dead Sea, which is the mm-hmm. lowest sea level. So he's he's lower than low. He's oh. in a ditch
0: in Jericho. <laughs> well, well, not to <laughs> how low bris- can you get? <laughs> well, you should ask the walls of Jericho. Yeah. <laughs> so before we we dig on Jericho too much, see, I did. Sorry. See, I did that dig again, right? <laughs> It actually gets lower because cursed is he that lives in Jericho, right? After the... Well, I'm who rebuilds before. the... Who, he who re- rebuilds, yeah. Rebuilds the gates. So yeah. it's, that's been done. That's ancient history. So yeah, that's ancient history, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about a low place with bad connotations hmm. and a physically low location reaching up to the highest of high and receiving the best. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus takes him from his broken state and restores him. Mm-hmm. When I look it, again, I was talking about these parentheses, this low being high and the high being low. Mm-hmm. It is it's it is a weird juxtaposition that we we see a, a strange positioning that we see. If we go back to the submission that husbands and wives have to have it to each other, mm. okay, and it's not just wives submitting to husbands, but husbands submit to wives all, mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you need to start mutual forbearance. right? Mutual forbearance. <laughs> Or or mutual suffering, one of yeah. the two. Consider one another as better than <laughs> yourselves, but yes. it's mutual. Be yeah. kind to your wife; you're un- unconscious next to her for seven to eight hours a night. So, <laughs> but here in this position, I see this over and over again: this this low becoming high, and the high becoming low. But when I I went through this, there was actually a, a vision that God gave me through this, mm-hmm. and as I was reading and studying, it just I was dumbstruck because. I kept my mind kept wandering to sixth grade. Now, sixth grade, I lived in bluegrass. And if you don't know where bluegrass is, you've never lived in bluegrass, and that's the only reason. Okay. <laughs> it's that small. Okay. And I walked to school every day, and that was the year that Velcro shoes came out. Okay. Velcros were cool for like five minutes. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you sure it wasn't four? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe three and a half. <clears throat> I might have been exaggerating. But... I had Velcros, and I thought, this is really cool, you know, and, and I walk back and forth every day, but I, I'm not a guy that stays on the roads. I don't walk on the sidewalks. I walk mm-hmm. in the grass, mm-hmm. and it wasn't too long before I broke my Velcros. How do you break break Velcro? Do you know that? I don't. Well, it's made out of systems of hooks and loops. Sure. The prickly side, that's that's the hooks, and if you look at them under a microscope, they look like little fish hooks. Sure. And the top is just a, a bunch of materials that are empty and loose, and they wind through, and... The hooks hold on to the loops, and that's what keeps them there. It's strong enough to keep you connected, but not so strong that you can't unconnect it. The only way to break it is for the hooks to grab on to the wrong stuff. Okay. So I got it filled up with lint uh. and, and burrs from the field, which is actually subsequently how Velcro got invented. Okay. And it got all clogged into the hooks, and my Velcros wouldn't work anymore. Uh. And as I go back looking at this, and I, I see these sections, as I dig through, they're all holding on to something, right? In marriage, a lot of divorces happen because I don't feel like I'm being this, or right? I don't feel like she listens, or he doesn't do this. And we're holding <laughs> on to ideals that that are wrong. Yeah, even grudges. They yeah. hold on to grudges. Yeah, bitterness. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, we always uh, tease... Some people I know say you hold a grudge like an octopus. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> and they're holding on to the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Now, they're holding on to the wrong position that children shouldn't be able to come to the mm-hmm. most high. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a positional thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rich young ruler is so holding on to the money, the land, the, mm-hmm. the riches that he has, mm-hmm. that he can't grab on to the proper thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you also look at all these moments where Jesus heals the the blind beggars, the, mm-hmm. the lame people. Mm-hmm. They have nothing left. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to hold on to. Right. So they're reaching out. And we wonder why there's no revival in America because we have our hands full, our time spent, our schedules are just as locked and <clears throat> yeah. held on to with all the empty things compared to what we should. Mm-hmm. And we leave enough empty time and mm-hmm. empty hands for Jesus. Mm-hmm. We throw our hands up and worship sometimes. Well, some people do at least. <laughs> we when we throw up our hands in worship, it's that I'm reaching out for you. Mm-hmm. My hands are empty. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I'm reaching out for you, and that's that's a position I think we really need to to get back a hold of. Mm-hmm. Now, getting that uh, that Velcro fix, all it took was a wire brush to wipe all that wrong stuff out of there. Mm-hmm. And in the season of Lent, we do that, right? We give up little things, right? Sure. But we pretend like chocolate and meat are enough, right? <laughs> Well, it's the stuff that really gets in the way, that that's what we need to tackle, right? It really is. Mm-hmm. I give up a bad attitude for Lent. There you go. I, I give up uh, certain foods sometimes, that's, mm-hmm. that's a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also want to make sure that I'm also giving up my money and the benefits and serving other people, getting low. And those are the things that really make that difference mm-hmm. because when we get down and wash feet like Jesus washed feet, mm-hmm. when we go out and feed people like Jesus fed people, Doesn't big stuff happen then? It does. It does. How did the gospel work in Malawi?
1: How did the gospel work in Malawi? Uh, Yeah, they, people are, um, it draws people. They're willing to walk three hours, walk three hours on a Sunday in order to hear a sermon, in order to go to church and sing their hearts out. And they sing and they sing and they sing and they sing for hours and hours and hours and then they walk three hours back. Um, I mean, it's just, there's a draw. Um, the gospel has a draw. Yeah. Uh, the presence of God has a draw. The Spirit is calling people. Yeah. And and it's, you know, it's, it, it's a promise of eternal life. It's a promise of glory. It's a promise of abundance. It's a promise of provision to people yeah. who have lived in the, the poorest parts of the world for ages and yeah. the, whose... Whose very peoples were at one point, you know, kidnapped and sold as, as slaves, and you know, who have been exploited in all sorts of ways. I mean, it's it's a hard life in really in, in in the southern part of Africa, and and yet, they, you know, they are not allow. They don't allow um, that hardness of, of life to crush their hopes. On the on the contrary. Um, they are ready to hear the word of hope and believe it and oh, trust yeah. it and look forward. They they know that God God means it. They they see the goodness of creation and the goodness of a creator, and they know that it can't that, that suffering cannot be all that there is to the story.
0: Exactly, and, so, and yeah, we sing. We can sing of your love forever as long as <clears> it lasts less than an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, sure. And right? it, and there will be other
1: songs that we like better that you right. have to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and, and
0: we're all set preferences and those our preferences are our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't we don't wanna be a village in later than everybody else. We don't wanna have interference with this, but they're willing to go out and do the particular things because they're in a low position mm-hmm. and they are reaching high and the gospel speaks to these things specifically over and over. So if you wanna be if you wanna be the highest of the high, if you wanna spend your eternity in a in a position of privilege and and power you gotta get low you gotta you gotta get down and wash the feet floss the toes right yeah, yeah. You, you gotta go out and find a way to serve somebody mm-hmm. and that is a huge thing you're sounding like bob dylan <laughs> <laughs> you got everybody's got to serve somebody right oh yeah i suppose that is a thing yeah, yeah. i only know buckets of rain really. oh okay okay <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt your appeal you're making a good appeal to the to the listener you and know go on the uh, the position that we look at and that that lowness we get to it really makes all the difference in the world. I've been looking at this new venture and I, I said to God the other day I was just I had an hour of quiet peace time that I couldn't do anything with and I meditated and I said God if this new thing happens how am I going to do it I have I don't have the foggiest idea to make things, things work hmm. and He didn't answer me out loud I didn't hear His voice like I hear His voice sometimes. I didn't get scripture like I get scripture sometimes. I got a vision in my head with myself and a rake in my hand. Hmm. I shared that with someone yesterday. He's like, you metaphorically have to go plow the fields. I said, no, I think I've got to rake someone's yard. (laughs) And he's like, well, no, you got to. I said, no, I I think someone needs their yard raked. I got to go rake somebody's yard. And he's like, what does that have to do with it? I said, that has everything to do with the gospel, everything to do with it. Some people don't need healing. Some people need their yard picked up before the city comes and finds them, you know? And we need to find those spaces that God will speak to us and how we can serve others. And you're only going to find those things. You're only going to find those positions of power and influence and benefit and build those moments of love because it's what you do for other people is what love is built out of, not what they have done for you. And the more you do for them, the more you will love them. That's where this church is going to be built out of. That's how the revival will happen in America. Is when people stop caring about their own opinions, and they start caring about other people, their benefits mm-hmm. and their benefactors. So, that needs to be you. Now I'm going to ask you to to close your your phone here in just a few moments. I'm going to ask you to pray, and uh, we're going to pray us out here in a minute. But I want you to pick up your Bible later. I want you to pray to God. I want him to ask it. I want you to ask him how can You help and influence other people. Dr. Slimmons, would you like to pray us out today? Sure, I'd be happy to. Gracious
1: God, we thank you for this uh, time together, this time spent in your word, this time spent in fellowship in the power of your spirit, and for the uh, the insights that you provoke as we uh, pour over your word and think about the life and ministry of Jesus, as we think about uh, your kingdom and how it is drawing near all the time. How your kingdom is is just a prayer away, and your son just a prayer away. Your uh, your spirit just a prayer away. Um, closer to us now than than uh, we are to ourselves. We pray that you would indeed bless um, those who are who have been listening. We pray that you would inspire them to uh, look beyond themselves uh, out into the world, to their neighbors, to see where they may see you at work, where they may see you calling them to uh, a new ministry, a new outreach, a new time of witness. Thank you for Ben and his ministry, and we pray your blessings upon his church. Thanks again for this time together. We offer you uh, all the glory for our lives and our conversation and the ministry
0: that you have uh, laid out before us. We offer it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to everybody. That means make peace with God so you can be His grace in this world. Have a great week.